Welcome to the Ordinary Pastor Podcast with Jeff Perswell, a podcast to help pastors connect theology to local church life. And now here is Jeff with your host, Mickey Connolly. Hey, welcome back to the Ordinary Pastor Podcast. Uh, this month is with Jeff. And uh, actually, we have a special guest on the podcast, uh, Denny Burke, who is the president of the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, uh, is joining us today. So, Denny, first of all, thank you for being here with us. And uh, we want to talk about the recently released Nashville statement. So in order to do that, I'm just going to turn it over to Jeff and let him be the interviewer. And I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the interchange between you guys. So, Jeff, take it away. Thanks, Mickey. Uh, Denny, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Uh, I wrote Denny into this. Uh, I was really excited not only to have you speak on this, given your involvement with the statement, uh, but also is a joy to introduce our pastors to you and let them get to know you a little bit, uh, especially also given your role with CBMW. And uh, I think our guys know I serve on the board there, so it's an honor to work with Denny, who's been leading us now for, I guess, over a year. Is that about right? Yeah, a little bit over a year. Yeah. Before we do that, just a little bit of background so our guys know who's talking to them. Uh, tell us where you're from and uh, sort of how you got from there to being a professor at Boyce College, which is where you teach, uh, the undergraduate school of uh, the Southern Seminary here in Louisville. Yeah, I'm um, from Louisiana, actually. I was uh, born and raised in the South, born and raised in a Christian home. But when I went to college, I, um, the Lord really got a hold of me, gave me a real interest for theology in the Bible through a certain turn of events, and I uh, felt a real calling to pastoral ministry while I was in college, and ended up going to um, Dallas Theological Seminary. I was raised a Southern Baptist, but I went to a non-denom- non-denominational seminary. And it was while I was at Dallas Theological Seminary um, studying languages and theology that I, I really started to get interested in uh, gender issues, and mm-hmm. I realized how important they were, and began to form convictions about manhood and womanhood. And in those days, for me, CBMW was foundational. Mm-hmm. So it was an organization that was pouring into me before I had any clue that I'd have any association with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and um, by the time I finished uh, seminary, I was well aware of kind of a dual calling in my life. I loved academic theology. I loved pastoring and preaching, and um, I ended up going and pursuing a Ph.D. at Southern Seminary and uh, did it in New Testament studies, and um, while I was there, um, grew and deepened in these convictions, taught for four years at a college in Dallas, Texas, till they eventually called me back up to teach at, uh, at Southern Seminary, mm-hmm. but through um, my um, academic work and career, I just had, I continued to have this interest in gender issues and in sexual ethics and it just grew and deepened over the year because over the years because I could see that there was so much at stake pastorally in people's lives and that was flowing downstream from so much at stake theologically and the way we think about God and the way that he's revealed himself to us in scripture and so to get these things right just became more and more of a central concern to me excellent yeah, and the guys, I don't know if they know this or not, but in addition to teaching at Boyce College, you are an associate pastor at Kenwood Baptist Church here in Louisville. That's correct. Serving with Jim Hamilton there. That's right. So you are not only in the classroom and not only writing about such issues, you are pastoring people, which gives a particular credibility to you, I think, on this issue. Yes, and I, I preach about these things. <laughs> so these are, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a it's a front burner issue. It's not just an academic issue. Yeah. 
And our guys may also know, I just, just mentioned, and I'll give you a plug there, you've written a couple of books on, in this whole area, What is the Meaning of Sex?, uh, which is an excellent introduction to sexual ethics um, and the biblical foundation for sexual ethics. And now a second book with Heath Lambert, Transforming Homosexuality. Um, is, is that one out yet? Yeah, that's out. That's yeah. brand new. Okay. It's been, yeah, it came out for it came out in actually 2015. Okay. So okay. yeah, Good. so it's definitely out there and it's making the rounds. And you teach a course with Heath, or you've taught a course with Heath on. So uh, I teach at Boyce College. Uh, I teach sexual ethics uh, every year. So uh, we actually go through the issues that are laid out in those both those books. Okay. Excellent. Good. It's an ethics class. All right. Perfect. Well, as, as Mickey said, the main topic we want to explore today was the Nashville Statement. Uh, first, let me say thank you for your work on that, your leadership in it. Um, our guys should know you were the catalyst for that, one of the chief architects for it. And as a result, you've been on the point for the opposition against it, the blowback, and the resistance to it. So uh, I'm very grateful for your work. I'm very grateful for your leadership uh, and your courage. So give us some background to the Nashville Statement. First of all, what is the Nashville Statement, and how did it come about? Yeah, the Nashville Statement is just um, a document um, put together by a number of Christian pastors, leaders, and scholars that articulates a biblical vision of sexuality and of what it means to be created in God's image as male and female. So there's 14 articles uh, with a preamble, and the 14 articles consist of affirmations and denials concerning what the Bible says and our affirmation of belief in that and then what we don't believe. And it focuses on um, the issues of homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, and in the midst of that, it, there's, a, there's a broader framework of sexual ethics behind it that you can see, but it focuses on those issues. And it emphasizes how important and essential these issues are to the Christian faith. And so it was something that came together over about a year's time, frankly, and it culminated on August 25th in Nashville, Tennessee, where a group of scholars and pastors and leaders came together and we ironed out the final wording of the statement and then approved it. And then um, we got endorsements from Christian leaders all over the country and really from all over the world and released it um, publicly um, the Tuesday after the Friday meeting. And so it's been out there and it's just a statement of Christian conviction. We, it was not our aim to say anything new in the statement, but to bear witness to something very ancient mm-hmm. in the statement, and I think we did that. Yeah. Something that you wouldn't mention probably, but when we were uh, interviewing you for the presidency of CBMW, uh, I remember as you were laying out what you would like to do, I think it was prior to us hiring you, you mentioned your desire. Uh, you mentioned the Danvers Statement and how important that has been historically, how much that has served pastors and served the church to give a biblical articulation of, biblical, of issues of biblical manhood and womanhood. Um, but you said, given where the culture has gone, given the kinds of things pastors face, you saw the need for another statement, um, an, an updated statement, a statement that would address issues of sexuality that, that are much more to the fore today. Um, so... 
you didn't mention that a moment ago, but that's what I remember as sort of the genesis to this. Yeah, you remember correctly. Um, I became president of CBMW because I wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. So this was the plan from the beginning over a year ago. And a lot of people just, you know, this hit the news, you know, just about a month ago. And for a lot of people, it came out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere for us. Mm -hmm. um, this was something that was in the making for for a long time. And indeed, it was it was my main goal in becoming president was to spearhead this effort. Yeah. I, I've had a few people approach me. I mean, I've talked to many people about it. A, f a few have approached me and asked, you know, okay, why? Uh, what's the purpose of the statement? Uh, can can you speak to that? The the audience, who is this aimed at? What What's being accomplished by the statement? Yeah, this is not a culture war document. It is a church document. Uh, this is an effort to for Christians to clarify for Christians what it is um, Christianity teaches, which is the same thing as saying what we believe the Bible teaches mm -hmm. about what it means to be created in God's images, male and female, and what God's design is for us in terms of our sexuality. And so the reason we're doing this is because there's just so much confusion today, mm -hmm. not just in the wider culture, but in the pews. There are so many um, Christians today who are confused about these things. Now, it, um, and it's not necessarily because they're rebelling against the Scripture, but because the culture around us is changing so fast and it's pushing in on things that were once assumed, but now we're having to clarify uh, points of conviction. Um, you ask the average Christian what intersex is, a lot of them couldn't even define it. Um, and maybe not many more could define what transgenderism is or even what it means or what the proper uh, biblical response is. And so the Nashville Statement is trying, it's trying to speak to ordinary pastors, ordinary Christians in terms that they will understand and give a framework that's faithful to Scripture. That's who it's really uh, addressing. Mm, good. Yeah, I, I actually got today in the mail uh, a letter from... An organization opposing the statement. I suppose they sent it out to all the people who signed it. Um, but it, it describes the it describes the statement. Uh, it's quite illuminating. It characterizes it as a persecution of uh, LGBTQ people. Um, the statement, according to one leader who's quoted in here, uh, I thought this quote was interesting. It weaponizes Christianity in order to attack the lives of LGBTQ people. Um, I'll just echo what you said. Everyone uh, was uh, was clear on this. This was not aimed at the culture. It's not an attempt to get in anyone's face. Um, its its purpose was, as you said, to give clarity. And I just would echo: there is confusion. I think I think for a lot of Christians, that, that they're clear maybe on the Bible's teaching on homosexuality. Uh, but I've heard stories, even at our meeting there, I heard story of, of a particular uh, Christian mental health worker. Uh, who was working with people struggling with transgender issues who didn't know that the Bible said anything about it. Uh, so I, I really appreciate that impulse behind it, and I I'm, I'm pray that it will, it will accomplish just, just what you intended for it. T tell us about the response uh, to this, both positive and negative. What, was it what you expected, uh, and, and what have you learned from the response? You know, I would always have expected the world to look at the church's teaching and to think that is strange. <laughs> okay, I, that, that is no surprise that we are strangers and aliens and that 
what the Bible teaches about marriage and sexual holiness and male and female, that those things would be strange to the world and that the world is actually moving away from us. We're becoming more of a prophetic minority these days as the church. That's not surprising to me. What surprised me was the level to which the outside world paid attention to this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were the lead item on Twitter for two days, the Nashville statement was. We had national stories in the uh, New York Times and the Washington Post and media outlets all over the world uh, picked this up. And, of course, a lot of the coverage was, was so negative, and which that's not surprising. I'm just surprised they were interested mm-hmm. at all because mm-hmm. this is essentially a Christian doctrinal statement. And it's not saying anything new. It's saying what we've we've always said. So that really struck me, the, the, the level to which the outside world paid attention to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't pay attention to Danvers like that. Of course, that was before social media. Yeah. Uh, they didn't pay attention to the Chicago statement on inerrancy like that. But, man, this one seemed to peek its head up above uh, the rim there, and uh, we we felt it for sure for uh, that first week for sure. Yeah. That, that in itself is illuminating, isn't it? And it, I think that in itself is confirming of the need for this kind of statement. Uh, what, what about some of the Christian responses? Uh, and even responses from Christians who, who would say, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't think I should sign this statement. Yeah, we, actually, we were pleased. And frankly, I was surprised at the response we got from people um, to, to sign the statement. You know, that mm-hmm. we, we finished the statement that night on August 25th. We started sending it to people that night. And we sent it to people all over the place. And I, I just... The response we got was so much more than I could have hoped for. Yeah. It was um, from from all different sectors of evangelicalism. And really, for me, the success of this statement is not in how many people sign it. Okay, We had 180-something, I think, initial signatories mm-hmm. with a lot of names that you'd recognize on yeah. there. What um, surprised me about a lot of those names, because they're big names... And, and they're people who knew they had a constituency, people who yeah. knew people were going to notice their names, how quickly they signed it. They didn't yeah. take time to parse it. They didn't quibble with it. They gave their affirmation quickly and wholeheartedly. That, I thought, was very encouraging. Exactly. And, and, and for, for us, the, the reason to get signatories like that was not just to count up how many we can get. I mean, since then, we've gotten probably 18,000-plus signatories mm-hmm. on there. But the point of the signatories was to be able to commend this to as many ordinary pastors and Christians as possible so that if they don't recognize, you know, Denny Burke's name or Jeff Perswell's name, you know, maybe they'll recognize Don Carson or Johnny Hunt or, you know, any number of names. They'll recognize them and say, oh, wait a minute, I need to listen to this and read this and take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And so um, our hope is not to multiply signatories. Our we're measuring success by whether or not this finds resonance in the hearts of God's people. Whether or not, if an ordinary ordinary Christians in, in pews across the country, they've not thought clearly about these things before, but they read this statement and they go, that's what I believe. That's what the Bible says. I recognize that. To me, that is the, that's the success of this. And, uh, or, or maybe haven't thought about this, but I see it. Yeah, and that yeah. that yes, this does align with what the Bible says. This does, this does show how the Bible 
deals with the stuff I'm hearing I'm hearing about all the time around me in the media and so forth. Yeah, and so you know the the initial media backlash and the you know negative response from the culture to me is is really not the point. The point is, will God's people um, see God's word reflected faithfully in this? Mm-hmm. And if they do, it will be mission accomplished. And listen, we're not going to know the answer to that for some time. That's going to take some time for this thing to get out into the churches, to get out to where um, Christians are living and and struggling with these issues and to see if it, it, it helps them and gives guidance. We're already hearing testimonies back, and these are the things you don't hear on the news as much, but testimonies back from where it's, it's, it's having that effect. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Danny, Jeff, thank you so much. This is helpful, and I don't want us to rush. So what we're going to do is end this one and then pick this up on our November podcast. Good. So thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.